Welcome, everyone, to Terratech's first quarter 2016 financial results conference call. A replay of this call will be available at www.smallcapvoice.com and will be archived on the Investor Relations section of the Terratech website. Before we begin, please let me remind you that during the course of this conference call, Terratech's management may make forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are based on current expectations that are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. These risks are outlined in the risk factor section of our SEC filings. Any forward-looking statements should be considered in light of these factors. Please also note as a safe harbor, any outlook we present is as of today, and management does not undertake any obligation to revise any forward-looking statements in the future. With me on the call today are Mr. Derek Peterson, Terratech's Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Mike James, Chief Financial Officer. With that, I would now like to hand the call over to Derek. Bill, thank you very much for the introduction, and I want to thank all of our shareholders for joining us today as we discuss Terratech's 2016 first quarter results, as well as providing an operational as well as business update. Uh, Top-line revenue, as everybody has a, hopefully had a chance to see, has increased to $1.5 million. That's an increase of 103% compared to the prior year, period over period. The increase was driven largely by higher sales from the Edible Garden Division. We had a warm summer. Anybody back in the Northeast saw, and we were able to get higher production, and the stores started buying more product, which was an uh, unexpected boon for us. Um, I wanted to remind everybody, because I get a lot of emails, so they have complete understanding that even though we acquired Bloom up in Oakland uh, during Q1, it was literally on the last day. So none of the financial results in Q1 have anything to do with uh, Bloom revenue coming out of the retail facility in Northern California. Um, following up on that, uh, we, again, like I said, we acquired Bloom Oakland on March 31st, which made us the first only U.S.-based publicly traded company that touches every aspect of the cannabis life cycle, from cultivation to extraction to branding, and now with the acquisition of Bloom, full retail sale. Uh, this acquisition enhances cash flow and positions us to capitalize on the Mar Medical Marijuana Regulation and Safety Act, otherwise called MMRSA, which comes into effect this year. It will allow companies to operate on a for-profit basis. Let me repeat. actually comes into effect in 2018. There are some portions, like the for-profit piece, that may come into effect in advance of that, just so everybody has full understanding. In addition, we opened a new Las Vegas dispensary in Western Avenue. The grand opening we actually had on April 20th was well attended. Um, I get a lot of questions on elaborating on sales. Um, Q2 is going to be the fully integrated quarter that has both Bloom as well as sales from uh, the retail division in Nevada. So I wanted to make sure that people understood we normally don't, you know, we don't issue or we don't discuss sales until it comes time to quarterly report. We're putting a lot of marketing efforts in place in Nevada. Nevada is a unique area, as a lot of people know that have been there. It's really relationship built, but it's also, you know, it's it's financial built. And there's a model here when it comes to marketing and expanding, and it's really the centers of influences. It's the casino hosts, it's the nightlife teams, it's the day club crews, the street teams, uh, as well as other relationships that we may have. We just, uh, um, we just brought on DJ Franzen, which is a resident DJ at Dre's Nightclub, to be a brand ambassador. And we'll be bringing out more and more brand ambassadors in the, in the city uh, as time goes on to make sure we have centers of influences that are directing people to our different facilities as they continue to open up. Cultivation and production. Uh, let's talk a little bit about operations. Production of Ibex brand medical cannabis products. During the first quarter, we had a little bit of an interruption. I wanted to discuss that in a little bit of detail. Uh, we first produced a batch in early, I want to say it was early January of Shatter that became a little bit unstable. 
We distributed it out to retailers. We saw that uh, the product became unstable. What I mean by that is nothing to do with the efficacy or the quality or the cannabinoid content, literally just the optics of it. So essentially, shatter, which is more of a glassy-type hard candy structure, um, began to break down into sugar. So what we did at that time is we pulled the product back from retailers. We immediately reevaluated our operational and protocols and standard operating procedures and found out over a little bit of period of time that we were missing a step or we added in some steps that some of our scientists hadn't done before that brought this product that was sugaring under higher temperatures and made it completely stable. So one thing that we didn't do when we launched the Ivex brand was actually sit down and do really focused R&D. We knew how to produce the product. We knew how to put out a product that had zero parts per million. But we didn't spend enough time, in my opinion, really developing the SOPs and the protocols. So during this downtime in Q1, we actually utilized that time to not only correct that product, but actually sit down and review all of our products from an optics standpoint. Never any issue with efficacy, I said. Never any issue with having residual anything in any of these products. We always focus on uh, putting our product at zero parts per million. But optics is becoming more and more important part of cannabis sales, from flowers to pre-rolls to concentrates, you name it. I mean, people are starting to analyze these products like they do fine wine. So knowing that MMSRA is coming into effect shortly and knowing that the competition is going to be decrease because there's going to be a limited amount of permits, we wanted to make sure that we had those positions in place from those protocols in place prior to that happening. So it affected our Q1 sales a little bit, but again, we're in this for the long haul. We wanted to do it right, and we didn't want to do it fast. So we had a little bit of a I don't want to even say setback. We still had good overall revenue in the space, but it could have been a lot better if we didn't have the, uh, the slowdown associated with that in Q1. In addition, um, we again announced during Q1 the subsequent quarter end, we launched a new line of IVEX branded pre-filled cannabis cartridges. Why are these cannabis cartridges, I think, is an important part of the IVEX brand is convenience items are becoming a larger piece of the marketplace. Concentrates in general were maybe 10% of the marketplace a few years ago. And now they're approaching 30 to 40%, depending on the jurisdiction. So concentrates in general are becoming a larger piece of the sales cycle. And convenience items will be able to assume these concentrates in a product like a pre-filled cartridge, especially in Las Vegas where people want grab-and-goes, is becoming a larger piece of the marketplace. So we put a lot of time, effort, and energy into developing the oils, and we put out the first line of the products, which is our lower THC uh, uh, applications, and we're going to be launching different different levels of the cartridges over the next uh, couple months, and we'll keep investors updated. But we think that's going to have a very accretive impact on the revenue growth of the IVEX brand, especially when we're able to introduce that uh, into the Nevada marketplace. In addition to that, we're going to be launching uh, new varieties of cannabis strains, uh, products with varying potencies and those types of things. Again, we use that downtime in the lab to not only beef up our R&D on the pre-filled cartridges as well as our regular concentrates, but to sit down and decide what we want to be launching over the next 12 to 24 months. A little bit of a regulatory update. Um, California Medical Marijuana Regulation and Safety Act, written into law January 1st, 2016. We expect that to come into a force in 2018. Uh, the for-profit portion of it is going to be left up to the local municipality. So we're working with the city of Oakland, specifically for the Bloom Dispensary up in that location, to see when we can move from a not-for-profit status and not have to focus on um, operating in that manner and can work in an environment that's for profit. So we'll keep investors apprised as we make traction in the local arena up there. Uh, business licenses are going to be issued in the state of California. Uh, you know, and they have multi-different licenses from retail to cultivation, different types of extraction licenses. The beauty of our facility, as uh, a lot of you may know, but some of you may not, up in Oakland is we're vertically integrated. In one campus, we have retail sales, we have extraction, and we have a large-scale cultivation. 
again, this gives us a leg up on competition for not only transparency in the sales cycles from the retail standpoint, but quality of product, being able to adjust product, being able to adjust strains according to what market demand looks like, and having full transparency from the seed to sales cycle. Um, the new regulation doesn't allow for vertical integration unless you are already permitted uh, by your local municipality. And there's not a lot of facilities, in my understanding, in the entire state that are going to be able to say that coming into the new regulation. So I think that's going to give us a real competitive uh, advantage, and I think that's going to be a real value-add for the, for the Bloom franchise. In addition to that, we're very focused on what they're now calling the Sean Parker Initiative. Uh, he's the one that's backing or putting most of the financial backing behind the recreational initiative in California. Um, and that's a big focus for us. I mean, I don't think recreational changes, you know, or impacts the, the business, you know, from a ridiculous significant standpoint, but what it does is it's certainly a, a leg up. And I've used the analogy before, you know, California, we're cruising at about 65 miles per hour, and recreational, you know, bumps us up to 80. Um, again, it's somewhat of a quasi-recreational state with pretty laxed and broad uh, regulatory rules when it comes to patients' access to the product. Nevada, it's a different story. Nevada has recreational on the ballot uh, in November as well. Um, Nevada is uh, ramping up right now the, med the medical platform. It's getting easier for patients to get signed up. All of the different companies, ourselves included, are make sure you know we're marketing to out-of-state people to utilize the multi-state reciprocity, the ability to service patients from other states. So we're doing a lot of branding and marketing so people understand that when they come in from California, Arizona, New Jersey, wherever it happens to be, and they have a medical card from that state, they're able to buy product uh, in, in Nevada when visiting. And uh, I've used the analogy in Nevada. Nevada goes from about 10 miles per hour because it's a new economy to 100 and if, if recreational passes. So we're putting a lot of our effort and energy in our marketing effort and our branding effort and just the, the, the public persona that we have and the traction media we've been able to be consumed to, to really focus on, uh, on in passing that regulation come November here in, uh, here in Nevada. A little bit of an operational update on the Edible Garden Division. Uh, as you've read in the past, we signed additional distribution agreements which are expected to continue to drive sales of our non-GMO fresh produce. Edible Garden received uh, the following certifications in the quarter, uh, USDA Certified Organic, the non-GMO pro uh, project certification, as well as kosher certification. All of these tie into the Global Food Safety or GFSI certification issued in September of 2015, which has been, a, to us, an important seal of approval to cement our reputation as a trusted provider of fresh natural produce. And to tie that into the cannabis side, again, why I think we were so successful in Nevada was really to do with our large-scale cultivation abilities as well as, you know, our, our broad medical marijuana experience that we had uh, with our team that uh, we partnered with up in Northern California. So that, in, that, that division showcases and brings a lot of legitimacy when we talk to legislators and we're going through a competitive permitting process that they see that we produce that amount of product on a monthly basis, that we don't have issues with foodborne illnesses, that we manage a, a, a facility of that size and all the logistics associated with it. That's been you know, a very strong put forward to us again when we sit down with these different regulators, and we're going to continue to make sure we showcase that as we compete in new markets around the country. In addition, Edible Garden signed an exclusive licensing agreement, as you read recently, with Nutrisorb LLC with, uh, to grow and commercialize nutritionally enhanced lettuces in different varieties that are developed in conjunction with Rutgers University under the name Superleaf. Edible Garden provides us with a stable revenue. So essentially, we've produced with this uh, coalition with uh, Rutgers University and this Nutrisorb LLC a lettuce that is extremely high from a nutrient density standpoint. It's essentially a superfood. It has more antioxidants than, than blueberries. And consumers right now are becoming more and more educated. You know, at first they really wanted the organic, and then they wanted the local grown. So the trend now is moving towards when I spend a dollar at the grocery store, what am I actually getting for that dollar from a nutrition standpoint? And people, when they buy things like uh, iceberg lettuce, they know they're getting something, but it's not giving them very much back from a nutritional standpoint. 
And we want to make sure we put products out there and educate the consumer bases when they know they're spending a dollar with Edible Garden. They're getting a fresh local product, again, that has all the certifications associated with it. But in addition to that, they're getting extremely high nutrient densities compared to our competitors. And, uh, you know, in addition to that, you know, and I've said this since day one, and I just tied it, you know, back in earlier to the, to the medical cannabis side, is I think we're going to see a fast-track medical cannabis, uh, uh, either broad medical cannabis uh, movement and potentially recreational cannabis in New Jersey. And we've been spending a lot of time and energy focusing on lobbying and focusing on working with legislators, inviting them out to our facility so that when new legislation comes into effect, we can also utilize that facility for cannabis cultivation for the new shareholders that are on the call today. With that, I'll, tie, I'll turn the uh, call over to Mike James, Teratech's Chief Financial Officer, so we can go into a little bit more depth in terms of the financials. Thank you, Derek. Good afternoon, everyone. I'll now provide you with a summary of our first quarter 2016 results. For the more detailed results, please refer to the press release we issued earlier today, which is posted on our website, along with a Form 10-Q filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. In addition, please note that we compile our financials under U.S. GAAP, including our non-operating ex expenses. For the quarter ended March 31, 2016, we generated revenues of approximately $1,548,000 compared to approximately $763,000 for the quarter ended March 31, 2015, an increase of approximately $785,000 or 103%. The increase was primarily due to the revenue generated by Edible Garden with the sales of its herbs and floral products. As a reminder, the acquisition of Bloom Oakland closed on March 31, 2016, and the revenues from this are expected in the second quarter. Our gross margin for the first quarter of 2016 was approximately 8.65% 8, compared to approximately 28.55% for the same period a year ago. In the first quarter of 2016, Heritech's wholly owned subsidiary, IVEX, began to research and develop new forms of extracted cannabis products. In addition, the company has reworked and refined their proprietary recipe of extraction to produce a higher quality and more stable product in both appearance and efficacy. The necessary activity has incurred additional cost of operations and has taken time in the lab away from our ordinary production. SG&A expenses for the quarter totaled $2 million compared to $2.3 million a year ago. The decrease was primarily due to a significant reduction in legal and consulting fees and was partially offset by an increase in research and development in conjunction with IVEX's refined proprietary extraction methods. We, included a net, we incurred a net loss of approximately $4.1 million or one cent per share for the quarter of 2016 compared to a net loss of approximately $2.1 million or one cent per share for the quarter ending March 31, 2015. The primary reasons for the increase in the net loss are related to an increase in revenue, a decrease in cost of goods sold as a percentage of revenue, a decrease in SG&A expenses, and a reduction in the issuance of convertible debt warrants. Now, Turning to the balance sheet, on March 31, 2016, we had cash balance of approximately $1,131,000 compared to a cash balance of approximately $418,000 at December 31, 2015. Short-term debt as of March 31, 2016 amounted to approximately $554,000, a decrease of approximately 40% compared to approximately $917,000 as of December 31, 2015. Stockholders' equity for the first quarter of 2016 amounted to approximately 
7.6 million, an increase of 1.3 million compared to 6.3 million as of December 31st, 2015. Total revenues generated from cannabis products for the first quarter of 2016 totaled 130,000 compared to 300,000 for the first quarter of 2015. The decrease is due to our decision to halt production after discovering an unstable batch of product. Now I'd like to turn the call back over to Derek for some closing comments. Mike, thank you for that. Uh, the other thing I want to take a moment to do is discuss real quick an update on the different projects we have coming out of Nevada before I wrap up here, because I get a lot of questions on, uh, on what's where in terms of construction projects. And what we did before is we gave a little bit of a ballpark, because it's kind of t- tough to give a, a full uh, construction timeline until we actually get in and finish uh, demolition and, and abatement and that type of thing. So a couple of the facilities, for example, we found asbestos. We had to spend some extra time abating the asbestos. A couple of the other locations we found not to code faulty wiring. We're talking about older buildings here. So when you're not dealing with new construction, a lot of times you're not going to see what's below the surface until you actually get in there. And now that we've had a chance to complete demolition in all locations and complete abatement in all locations and actually been, begin to, uh, construction, we have firm timelines or relatively firm timelines on when we're going to finish. So uh, first, let's tackle Decatur, which is actually one of my favorite locations because I think it, the neighborhood over there reminds me a lot of, uh, of, of the facility we have up in Oakland. Um, right now, as everybody knows, we've uh, submitted our Clark County business license application there. It's in full construction mode. Uh, construction's set to conclude uh, right around July 1st, give or take a day or two, and then we expect to begin operations shortly after that. So men- remember, once we finish construction, we have to then go back to the local county and then make sure that they, they understand that we finished everything in compliance with how we, uh, how we were issued the building permits. And then we have to deal with the state to make sure they can do a final walkthrough. Uh, and, and make sure that we did what we said we were going to do and execute it according to our permit. And sometimes those happen in a week, sometimes those happen in two or three weeks. We were able to get through that process very quickly when it came to Western, so I always like to add a week or two uh, buffer expectation from, from as far as that's concerned. Um, Desert Inn, uh, we also submitted our Clark County business license application for that, and we're uh, scheduled right now to finish construction towards the latter part of August. Uh, the Reno Dispensary, we submitted our business license application to the City of Reno Business Licensing Division, and we're also scheduled to conclude construction at the latter part of August as well. Um, we expect to begin operations for both those locations, like I said, shortly after, depending on how quickly we can get the local, com- uh, the local government to come in and, and finalize, as well as the state for their final walkthrough. Clark County Cultivation and Production. Uh, again, we submitted our Clark County business licenses for our cultivation and production facility. We're actually putting shovel to sand uh, in phase one of construction in July of 2016 with a completion date in January 2017. And we tweaked the, um, the facility there a little bit, and I wanted to expand on this so people understood that, you know, um, uh, we're, we're trying to make sure we have some le- measure of flexibility because this construction is going to be in the middle of the recreational cannabis initiative. So we're building out this facility in, in a scalable format, meaning that come November, if recreational doesn't pass, we can light this up at a phase at a time, and we're not, we're not uh, forced to build out the entire scope of the facility in one shot if the market's not such that it's going to be able to support the demand that's coming out of there. If we're fortunate enough and recreational passes, we'll be all pre-permitted and we'll be able to pivot if we need to pivot and build out the full large-scale facility from the ground up to make sure that we have the full capacity we're going to need for what I believe the recreational demand will be out there. Uh, Washaw County Cultivation, uh, we submitted our business license application with Washaw County as well, and we're currently analyzing and finalizing uh, the the, the build-out and the construction timelines in the architectural drawings up there as well. We're taking our time on that because, again, we're trying to put as much time between now and the recreational facility 
a recreational initiative is absolutely possible. Like I said, we go from 10 miles per hour to 100 in a very short period of time if that passes, and we want to make sure that the facilities are built to accommodate that. And if not, we don't want the large overhang uh, and the burn associated with that. Uh, we'd rather scale into it if it's going to be, you know, just you know, focusing on the slower growth as far as the, uh, the medicinal program is concerned. So, again, thanks, Mike, for, uh, for the financial update. Wanted to uh, say to everybody in summary, we've opened two new retail facilities, you know, first being the Bloom acquisition and the second being the Western location um, and that are in full uh, production come for uh, uh, the second quarter, which, again, when we release the Q2 numbers, everybody will see a fully integrated financial performance for all divisions, which we're excited to be able to showcase. Legal framework from a national perspective is starting to come into, supply, into place to support growth. Um, we've been operating for the last five years with nothing but headwinds, and I've said this um, to a lot of people in the past. We have every risk that a normal business has. We have competitive risk and marketing risk and financing risk, all those types of things. But what a lot of people don't realize is, is working in this space, especially if you backtrack a few years ago, we had a ton of legislative risk, a ton of political risk, legal risks, enforcement risks, so many things that, uh, that other companies don't have to deal with. And so that's why I'm I'm thrilled with the progress that we've made, and I'm thrilled that we've been able to execute at the level that we've been able to execute. I mean, when I started this company with Mike James, I think the first year we did a half a million in revenue, and to be able to be where we are today, you know, and forecasting this year with not even a full year with Bloom at 20 to 22 million, we're very excited about that progress. And for the first time, from my personal perch, we're operating in an environment where we're starting to begin to have some tailwinds. If we get 280E figured out, we get some banking issues figured out, we're going to be able to scale very, very quickly, and we're positioning ourselves so that our brand is able to scale, so that Bloom is able to scale, and so the company in whole is able to focus on how to develop these products and put them out to consumers with economies of scale in mind once we have the environment that supports that. So, again, I wanted to say thank you to my management team um, that's executing in all areas of the country right now, from Belvedere, New Jersey, to Northern California, to Las Vegas, and everywhere in between. I wanted to say thank you to our stockholders that took the time to listen to the call today. And we're going to continue to give updates as time goes on. So I'd like to turn the call with that uh, back over to Phil. I know we have some questions that were sent in by shareholders and stockholders, and I wanted to make sure we had an opportunity to answer some of those. Thank you, Derek. Okay, so the first question we have, uh, do you have a time frame for potential reverse split, and can you comment on potential NASDAQ uplisting? Okay, yeah, we get that one, we get that one all the time. So, um, you know, I've always said that I, my, only, my only need for a reverse split would be for an uplisting, and, and I'm sticking to that to this day. To me, to, to reverse into a vacuum, you know, with my financial background, I just don't think makes sense. Now, if there were a financing need, if there were a large financier that wanted to come in and give us great terms, and that was one of the things they wanted to see happen, we would certainly be open to that. But as we sit right now, that's a tool and a mechanism we want to utilize for a potential uplisting. Now, in terms of timing, um, for, for all practical purposes, we meet most of the equity standard right now. We've been able to increase shareholders' equity to $7.6 million. Every quarter it seems to be going up. So we meet the standards with the exception of the price per share. However, it's my feeling that the NASDAQ isn't going to be ready to take a cannabis company yet. And I say that because I, I believe they're going to want banking regulations to be dealt with before they let a company up on the exchange because... If I'm there, if I'm putting myself in their shoes, I mean, uh, two things. I want a large company that has, you know, a high degree of financials, a healthy balance sheet, good operating cash flow. I want to make sure whatever company is the first company, because of the national news that it's going to be, is going to have some size and scope and scale associated with it before I take the risk on it. Because it's going to be an embarrassment for everybody if the first company that gets up there doesn't have the ability from a capitalization standpoint to remain uplisted. It's very difficult um, to, to maintain listings on, on exchanges. I mean, right now, we're, we're putting Sarbanes-Oxley-type compliance 
uh, into our, our financial protocols and our operational protocols uh, and, and shortening our, 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 our filing deadlines to 30 days on the Qs and 60 days on the Ks instead of 45 and 90. So there's a lot of extra headwinds that uh, are associated with uplisting. So while we're in a hurry to do it because we ultimately want to be listed there, um, part of it is qualitative and part of it is, uh, is, is just waiting for the exchanges and for the industry to develop and for, for them to ultimately have a measure of comfort with us. And between now and then, my job is, and our job and the management team's job is to build the company's scope and size so that when we do put in that application, they, that, that we're a real contender, that we have real legs underneath us. I hope that, uh, hope that kind of answers the question. Perfect. Uh, question number two, what is therapeutics medical and is there a relationship with energetics? Okay, I mean, we've been getting a lot of questions there. So, you know, no, there's no relationship with, with energetics or NRTI. What happened was is uh, those assets were collateralized by a financier of energetics. Um, I, I, energetics, um, uh, I believe the financier took possession of those assets to satisfy their debt. That financier reached out to us as a potential buyer of those assets. Um, we looked at the assets. We looked at their ability to integrate with our consumer brands division on the edible garden side. And we also looked at it from a broader medical cannabis perspective, and I'll elaborate that on a little bit in, in, in just a second. So we were able to get some very, what we feel are, are good, um, solid growth brands between the Bikini Ready and the Vitamin Way and the other distribution the products that are being distributed at, uh, at what we believe is pennies on the dollar. So we, uh, we purchased those assets using a debt instrument from the financiers and uh, brought those in-house for two reasons. Like I said, we believe those products stripped out of that larger entity are going to be very valuable for us. But more importantly, the cross-selling initiatives, we picked up about 5,000 retail doors with those products. Those are 5,000 retail doors in addition to the 18, 1900 that we already have where we can cross-sell edible garden products and vice versa. Um, so for us, it was a one-plus-one type uh, scenario equaling three. And more importantly, if you look what's going on in Canada right now, the, the, pharma, the, uh, the uh, pharmacies are trying to get in the middle of medical marijuana distribution, that type of thing. And the distributors that we picked up on the, on the vitamin waste side, a large amount of those were, were uh, pharmacies and those types of stores. So we don't know where medical cannabis or recreational cannabis sales are going to go in the future. Nobody can say that for certain, but I wanted to make sure that we have all avenues covered. And an acquisition of these assets gives us penetration and vendor accounts into large-scale retailers. If they ever end up being uh, sales points for, for cannabis in any way, shape, or form, we've got existing relationships with them distributing product into it. And I always, one of my famous sayings is the, the Wayne Gretzky analysis of, you know, the, the, the famous hockey player. Why are you so successful, Wayne? Because I skate where I think the puck is going to be, not where it is. Now, I don't know exactly where the puck is going to be, but I can tell you I want to make sure and make certain that we're at least uh, in the ballpark of where we think it's going to be, despite, uh, you know, what people are telegraphing, you know, in the short term now. So, you know, we, we're building out our own retail initiative with the Bloom dispensaries, obviously, one sales point. But that, that's ever opened up or broadened out. Like I said, we've got existing relationships with key products and longstanding relationships and, and uh, the reputation of being able to fulfill with a lot of these major, major retailers throughout the country. And, and that's a huge leg up for us for distributing additional products down the line. Great. Um, next question. There are many states on the verge of having medical marijuana become uh, legalized. Are there any plans in the works for TerraTech to expand its medical marijuana business across the U.S. outside of California and Nevada? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We want to be we want to be everywhere, right? I mean, everywhere that's productive for us. So, the first thing we do is we look at the legislation, and then we look at the things like population density. Second, and New York's a great example of that. We started down the road in New York. We started building relationships, meeting with legislators. 
And then when we found out the, the, the regulations were going to be so limited and it was going to just really force the continuation of the black market there, we bowed out. Uh, and we bowed out because we didn't want to put the capital forth in what we would perceive as a limited market. My understanding is we, we're hearing that people are in a relatively distressed situation there right now because of that. So um, we have an absolute interest to look at other markets. We have other applications out there um, in, in different jurisdictions that uh, you know, we're, we're, we're waiting, on, uh, waiting on seeing if we get them. Uh, but for all practical purposes, you know, California, with the size of the economy that is, and the large, you know, being the largest cannabis economy in the country, if not potentially the world, uh, we want to execute here. We want to execute at home, and we want to execute in Las Vegas because of recreational passes in Las Vegas, with you know over 40 million people coming in here on an annual basis. Uh, that's a significant marketplace. I mean, the national average is is somewhere just shy of 10 percent for people that have utilized cannabis before. If that is the same ratio we see in uh, Las Vegas from a recreational standpoint, the numbers are staggering when you extrapolate that across just a handful of dispensaries. So we're excited about mostly about those two markets, but we're absolutely paying attention to everything that's going on around the country. Florida is an important market to us, but we're not going to go anywhere unless the legislation's broad enough to make sure that we can recoup the money that we put out of the capital and energy that we put out from a financial standpoint. What we're primarily looking for right now is additional acquisitions in the California marketplace. It looks like um, Colorado might be opening up to out-of-state uh, um, uh, investments, and that's a, another focus because it's a very developed market there. So we're certainly going to be looking for good operators in that marketplace as well. So we're certainly open to everything to summarize, but we're focusing on California and Nevada as the key marketplaces. We've, we're focusing on a long-term game of gaining additional permits out there, but at the same time, we want to make sure we focus on our short game, which is short-term accretive cash-flowing acquisitions, which, we, again, we're excited about the Bloom acquisition because it's going to be a nice cash-flow metrics for us. And, again, we're, we're, we're excited about being, have, having the ability to be able to showcase that uh, in our Q2 numbers. Okay. Um, do the owners of Bloom Oak also own the Green Door in San Francisco? Uh, <laughs> love our shareholders. They always do a lot of homework. Um, yeah, there's some there's some ownership overlap, and you know, I, and I think I had said this in, in in a prior call or in an interview somewhere. You know, when when Saul and I won the permit up in Oakland, uh, none of us had any long term experience operating medical cannabis dispensaries. So the first thing that we did is we looked around the Bay Area for some of the better operators, and we met with all of them to bring them in as operational partners. And uh, ultimately, when we finished that round of due diligence, we arrived at the team that was operating the Green Door, which has been around for for a substantial amount of time has built a great reputation in the city for not only their service and customer service, but also for the strains, the unique strains and uh, the consistency of their menu boards. Um, and they brought that over to, uh, to Bloom, which is why we went from zero to, to where we are today in such a short period of time, um, you know, seeing 1,000 patients a day, having over 40,000 registered patients. We did 2,092 patients on April 20th. And we wouldn't have been able to do that without that core competency and that core expertise. So yes, there's uh, there's ownership overlap, and, um, and, uh, and and it's nice for us because it gives us an additional retail outlet to push the IVEX product uh, in the city of San Francisco, which is a very developed market for us. Okay. Um, could you supply some information on how well the sales are going at the Bloom Las Vegas location on Western Avenue and the expected opening date on Decatur Boulevard? Uh, yeah, so we we touched on all the uh, the opening dates. So again, Decatur, uh, we're going to finish construction right around July first, and then uh, depending on when the state comes down uh, and gets uh, gets the final walkthroughs, you know, we think a week or two after that we'll be able to open for operations, and then we'll probably want to do a soft opening just like we did in Western, and then scale into something that's uh, that's broader. Um, 
in addition to that, um, I, 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 like I said, I don't want to go into individual sales reporting for individual units. We'll be able to showcase that and highlight that and discuss that in further detail. And I also want to remind investors and shareholders that uh, when I put out the revenue guidance of 20 to 22 million for 2016, that only included three quarters of Bloom in Oakland. So the run rate is is a lot more significant than that. Number one and number two, I estimated zero sales for the entire state of Nevada for the remainder of the year, and I did that because. Forecasting, like I said, is a delicate art blended with science as it is. And to do that in a, uh, in a new economy, in a new area, in a new industry, um, to me, was very challenging. So I'd rather just get a run rate, a developed run rate going in there, review it after Q2. And if I need to make an upward assessment or an upward adjustment to the 20 to $22 million for 2016, uh, we'll do that at some point uh, later in the year. Okay, next question is, uh, can you discuss the decrease in IVEX revenue for Q4? Uh, yeah, Q4 was uh, a little bit of a different issue. So when we launched the IVEX brand, to, to be able to produce extracts, we need access to trim, outdoor, all, you know, great indoor flowers, um, and those types of things to be able to run. There's a lot of brands that have developed in the California marketplace that have built relationships with a lot of these providers. So when we jumped in the middle of the supply chain and started scrambling for product to, to put into the machines to be able to produce concentrates, um, we wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, that A, that it was top-tier product, but B, a lot of these people already had uh, had their products spoken for. Now that they know that we're a major producer out there, now that we know that we have a significant appetite, we've been able to build those relationships, and on a go-forward basis, specifically in Q2 from now going forward, we feel like we have a handful of providers that produce an outstanding product, so the quality in to get the quality out is not an ongoing issue. Backing up to mid to late last year, um, like I said, we were always scrambling for product, having to outbid people for them just to get the relationships in so that we had product going in. We obviously have trim and that type of thing and, and, and other product coming out of our own cultivation, but Bloom was not part of Terratech, obviously, at that time. So the beauty of having those conjoined now is that seed-to-sales supply chain. So we have our own on-site cultivation that we're able to pull product from, and we have our own on-site cultivation that has... The, the leftover trim product that we're able to run on a consistent weekly basis because we have the, uh, the cultivation to basically set up to do a weekly, bi-weekly harvest, perpetual harvest up there. So that's, uh, that's now a benefit for us, so it's alleviated any issues of us having quality product to put in the machines to get the quality product out ultimately. Okay. And lastly, what are the 2016 projected revenue targets for IVEX and Edible Gardens? Uh, yeah, I'm, I didn't want to break down I mean, as far as the segment's concerned, but uh, like I said, we put out the 20 to 22 million, and that was a combination of three quarters of bloom, a little bit of progress out of the farm, and uh, a little bit of progress out of IVEX. So, again, we didn't account for much growth in IVEX. We didn't account for anything out of Nevada as far as that estimate was concerned. I wanted to be ultimately conservative. Uh, we're thrilled with where those numbers sit, and like I said, you know, come the latter part of the year, if we feel like we need to up those estimates after we have a chance to see. Uh, what's coming out of Nevada, and then how we see these uh, pre-filled cartridges take place in the California marketplace. We'll make some adjustments if uh, if we need to. Perfect. That is all. Well, again, that uh, that concludes the questions. Uh, Phil, I want to thank you guys uh, for hosting the call, and again, thank our stockholders on behalf of the management team, the officers, and the directors of Terratech. Again, we appreciate you guys standing behind us and uh, being so intently focused on every step that we make. We're going to continue to put out progress reports uh, in both Nevada as well as for IVEX uh, and as well as for Edible Garden, which, again, has been a, been a nice quarter for us that we're thrilled about. We're excited about Q2. Again, we're really excited about showcasing uh, the financials, uh, the integrated financials that are basically what I believe is all divisions operating at uh, a decent bore. And then Nevada, we're really excited about getting anything up and operating. 
And for Nevada, the next year, next couple of years are a great growth story for us here. And like I said, of recreational passes, we're really excited uh, about uh, how that's going to affect our top line revenue numbers. And we'll certainly adjust expectations, uh, you know, when uh, when legislation like that passes. So, again, thank you everybody for taking the time. Um, we uh, look forward to the next call for Q two.